You may be seated. You know, I have to say it, my uh, Sunday mornings just do not feel complete unless I stand up here and say, Good morning, I hope, Community Church. All right. I have given you an insert in your bulletin to follow along with, with all the scripture listed that I am going to use. So there will not be any scripture on the overhead. If you want to see the scripture, guess what? You got to look it up in the Bible. So, I titled this sermon, The Power Inside. I had originally had called it Just the Power, but then I realized that last week, Matt's sermon title was The Storm Inside. So I thought, well, I'll start a little theme, and I'll call it The Power Inside. And I want to see what Matt does with his sermon next week, if he can keep that up. All right, we're going to read, starting in Mark chapter 5, starting verses 21 through 43. And you may want to keep that section mark because we're going to come back to that several times and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea then came one of the rulers of the synagogue Jairus by name and seeing him he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying my little daughter is at the point of death come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumai, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. 
and immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. See, this is a very unique passage. What we actually have going on here is a message within a message. It's like a two-for-one deal. Buy one miracle, you get the second one free. The first one, which actually is the second one to happen, the death and resurrection of Jairus' daughter, is a very, very powerful and important message. But right now, I want to focus on the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. And I've broken this up into three topics, which you'll see on your handy-dandy little sheet that I gave you. And the first one is focus. So I want to again read that section involving the woman who was bleeding, verses 25 through 34. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately, immediately, the flow of blood dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, we don't know for sure how many people were with Jesus on his way to Jairus' house. But verse 21 says, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. A great crowd. See, this woman was totally focused on Jesus, regardless of all the people around her. Her focus was on Jesus and nobody else. Her focus was on Jesus healing her. And for some reason, we don't really know why, rather than asking to be healed or touching his body, she only touched his cloak, and she believed wholeheartedly that by touching his garment, that the power inside of him would heal her. And guess what? It did. It did. She had focus. She had a mission. And she was not going to stop till she completed that mission. I want to give you an example of, of sort of just the opposite thing. And this is a story we hear a lot regarding this. A perfect example of not having focus is Peter when he walked on the water. As long as he was looking at Jesus and focused on Jesus, he was walking on water. But when he took his eyes off of Christ and he focused on the waves and the wind, he started to sink. Sometimes we need to kind of gauge where our focus is. And I was thinking this week about how do we do that. And I thought, 
Look at your phone. How many people did you text last week? How many people did you talk to? And of all those people, how many of them did you share Jesus with? Or did you share scripture with? Did you, did you share what God was doing in your life? Did you share the gospel? Or did you share the gossip? You know, it's easy to share. I see things on Facebook like, oh, I had a great lunch. It was fantastic. I did this. I did that. You know, people like to share what's going on in their life, but not everybody wants to share Jesus in their life. They don't bring him out and make such a big deal about him as they do other things. So again, you know, how much time do you spend praying with God, praying to God, sending God a message? And even better yet, listening to God's message. You know, he wrote a whole book of messages for us. If we get a text, most of us are like, quick as can be, open up that text, look, see who it is, what do they have to say? How many of us are that quick to open up our Bible and see what God has to say? One of my favorite passages in Scripture, which has to do with focus, is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. This is what Moses said to the Israelites shortly before they went into the promised land. Now this is the commandment, the statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statues and his commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I, that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So according to this passage, when should we not be focused on God? Doesn't leave much time for anything else, does it? When you get up, when you go to bed, when you walk along the road, put it on your doorpost, your door frames, your gates, Put it in front of your face is what he is saying. Do not let anything get in between you and the truth of God. That is focus. We need to focus more on God and keep the things of this world from blocking our view of him. Probably my most favorite passage in the whole Bible is Matthew chapter 6, 25 through 34. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, 
nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Anybody here who doesn't have enough to think about and worry about and do today that you need to start on tomorrow's business? If there is, let me know, because I'd like to figure out how to do that. Every day has enough trouble of its own. And we can't change anything by worrying about it. Not one thing. But yet we do, don't we? We worry about what's going to happen tomorrow. We worry about what's going to happen next week. Jesus says we can't change a thing by worrying about it. Life is hard enough without having to worry about things that really don't matter. What really matters is living for God and allowing the kingdom to live in our hearts and in our lives right here. That's what matters. That's what we need to focus on. And even though we're not really focusing on Jairus, when he was told that his daughter was dead, Jesus said, do not fear only believe. Do not fear. Only believe. So basically, he said, don't pay attention to what you think reality is. Focus on God. Focus on God. So where is your focus? Where is your focus? That's one of the questions I want you to think about this week. The next thing I want to talk about is exposure. And getting back to the large crowd that was with Jesus, the disciples' response seems to indicate that it was a very large crowd as well. In verse 31, it says, And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? Who touched me? So what was the difference that made Jesus realize that someone had touched him besides the crowd just bumping into him? You know, basically, it was the difference between incidental contact and intentional contact. People were probably making contact with Jesus throughout the whole journey if they were crowded around him like that. But the woman made contact with him because she believed 
who he was, and she believed he could heal her. She made intentional contact. She deliberately went up and touched him. Mark chapter 10, 46 through 52. It says, And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The people basically told Bartimaeus to shut up, don't bother Jesus. You aren't that important, Jesus isn't here to deal with the likes of you. But... Bartimaeus didn't like that response, and he yelled louder. Bartimaeus believed who Jesus was. He believed that Jesus could heal him. He made intentional contact. He didn't get up and touch him, but he yelled out enough to make Jesus hear him, to make Jesus come to him. He made intentional contact. Is your exposure to Jesus incidental or is it intentional? Do you make it a habit to meet with Jesus every day? Do you come to church fully expecting to meet with the creator of the universe? Or do you come here hoping to catch up with friends, be entertained, hopefully hear a nice warm fuzzy story and then you go home? Or do you come here to be in the presence of the Lord God Almighty? Is it intentional or is it incidental? Do you give yourself over completely and totally to God and ask him to change your life forever that you will live each and every minute for him? And believe me, when I ask you these questions, they're for me too. Because I am not the person that I'm trying to make all of us to be by doing these things. So ask yourself, do you bump into Jesus every now and then when you're walking through this life? Or do you reach out and touch him? Do you holler for him and ask for help? Is your exposure incidental or intentional? And now I want to talk about the power. 
was just a couple months ago, back in May, that I preached on the power. I think this is one of the most unused by Christians, the power of Jesus Christ in our lives, what he intended for us to do. So again, we're going to get back to the crowds. When Jesus says, who touched my garments, basically the disciples respond to Jesus almost like he's nuts. He says, you see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, who touched me? It's like, come on. What are you talking about? You're surrounded by people. Who do you think touched you? You know, it's like being in a jam-packed public swimming pool and saying, who splashed me? He was surrounded. You know, maybe similar to to leaving the, the stadium after a Bills game and fighting the crowds on your way out and then trying to keep track of every single person that you bumped up against on the way out the door. You think you could do that with 80,000 people rushing out the door? Pretty much impossible. And remember, she touched his garments. She didn't even touch his body. She touched his garments. And I thought of an experiment that you could try just to kind of understand that. Unfortunately, we won't be here for church in the park next week. We're, we're going on vacation to Florida. And that was the only time that we could really make it. So I'm very sad about that. And I won't get to see this put into practice if you do it. But also I'm wondering, too, what we're going to go to my brother's church most likely and what are they going to do when I get up and say, Good morning! I don't know how they're going to handle that, but we'll see. So anyway, the experiment I want you to try next week during church in the park while Pastor Matt's up there preaching, just kind of lean over, touch the garments of the person sitting next to you on either side. You know, touch the garment of the person in front of you. See if they notice. See if they have any clue that you're doing that. I don't know. Maybe you shouldn't do that. (laughs) Hate to see people get arrested at church in the park. (laughs) Wouldn't be good for business, would it, Matt? All right, we'll skip that. Okay, so Jesus was certain that somebody had touched him, and it wasn't just incidental contact. It says in verse 30, and Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? He knew that power had gone out from him. Apparently, the other people touching him didn't cause power to go out from him, which I don't understand. I totally don't understand it. First of all, we don't have an instruction book that explains how power came out of Jesus and healed people. But obviously, he he did it that way. He knew that power left his body and healed the woman. But we just don't quite understand how. Maybe you remember a couple months ago, 
Luke chapter 4, 1 through 13. This was right after Jesus was baptized. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and... On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. He was tempted by the devil in the desert for 40 days and nights. And he resisted the temptations. Why? How? Because he was God? No, he did not do that under the power of God. He did it with God's power, but he did it as a human being that was full of the Holy Spirit. That's how God's power was working. Jesus was living on earth as a man, a human being, just like you, just like me. He didn't use godly powers to resist those temptations. Otherwise, it would have been pointless. It wouldn't have paid the penalty for our sins if he came and defeated sin and death by the power of God. He came and did it by the power of the Holy Spirit living in a human being. That is the power. That is the power that ordinary people like you and I can have with the Holy Spirit in our lives. We may not have the instruction manual on the power, but there are other examples of ordinary people who had that power. Acts chapter 5, 12 through 16. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, Believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They were all healed. They laid the people in the streets so Peter's shadow would pass over them. And they were healed. Talk about power. Acts 19, 
11 and 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them from a hanky. Anybody want to touch my hanky? Probably not. Sometimes I don't want to. They took Paul's hanky and touched sick people with it and they were healed. They touched possessed people with it and the demons left them. That is power. Far beyond my comprehension. You may also remember back in May I had taken a verse that we used at Easter time, Matthew 28, 5 and 6. This is the angel and the empty tomb of Jesus. It says, but the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. And I modified this verse for a new day in a new situation because I said it was a little bit out of date. Not that it's out of power by any means because it was totally 100% true, but I adapted it to our time, our day, our situation. And I said, he is here. He is here because he is risen. He is right here in my heart living. He is alive because he is risen. The kingdom of God is within me. John 14, chapter, or verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me also, will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, 
and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him and make our home with him. That is one of the most awesome promises you could ever hear, that the creator of the universe will make his home in your heart. That is the power. That is the power available to each and every single one of us. Luke 17, 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. In other words, it is here. It is right here inside of you. And that is where the power comes from. Whether we understand how the power works or not, it is there. It is promised to us. It is given to us. The kingdom of God is here within me. And if the kingdom of God is here within me, the power of God is here within me as well. Just like it was when Jesus was walking on the earth. The same power that he had, he gives to us. And he says flat out, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Can you imagine doing something greater than Jesus? I can't imagine coming close to it. But you know what? He's not a liar. He didn't make that up because it sounded good. When this was written, it wasn't put in because, oh, this is the climactic part. Let's put something interesting and exciting in there. It was the truth inspired by the hand of God. And it's every bit as true today as it was then just like when Jesus was walking on the earth. We have the opportunity to use that power. And we need to put that power into action. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Step out in faith this week. Do something that you are a little intimidated about doing. Talk to a stranger about Jesus. Talk to a loved one about Jesus. So sometimes it's harder to talk to the people that we love than it is to complete strangers. Somebody that you find it difficult to talk to, talk to them about Jesus. Or do something for them, something special. And say, I did that just because I wanted to share the love of Jesus with you. Step out of your comfort zone and see if God doesn't give you the power to do it. Do it in his name. Do it for his honor. Do it for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, Father, I have read and studied these passages many a times, as you know, and I am just overwhelmed by the promises that you make to us. But we know they're true. Lord, sometimes we're a little bit afraid to turn that power on. But I pray, Father God, that you would make it real to us beyond our imagination, that we would feel it, that we would use it, that we would understand it as much as you would have us to, 
but more importantly, that we would trust it and make it a part of our everyday lives, that we would honor and glorify Jesus Christ the way that he honored and glorified you when he walked on this earth. God, give us wisdom. Give us boldness. Help us to be brave and to step out in faith and to turn on the power of Jesus in all that we do for your honor and your glory. Amen.